Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sam Legasic. And I'm Dreadful Dan Gallagher. And we're two old buddies that have lived our life at the edge of the mainstream. So come join us where things are a little... odd... This is the podcast. 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 You've got to believe. It's alive. It's loose. This earth of yours will be reduced to a burned-out cinder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to podcast music, uh, movies, music, and gaming. And uh, as always, I'm here with Dreadful Dan. Hi, Dan. Hello. How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. And, and how, are you, how are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm um, quite hungry. Actually, I've been working up an appetite, looking forward to this uh, this lovely Texan chickpea moussaka that you've promised we're going to have. Well, the, the problem with it is that there's a fair bit of meat in this one. Well, that's no good. I know, I know you might have a problem with that. I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was chickpea. <laughs> God damn you. No, no, I've got a whole barbecue of uh, unidentified meat hanging <laughs> in a big red <laughs> oven. Um, well, that doesn't sorry. sound absolutely delicious like I was imagining. No, it's it's... Not delicious at all. It's quite disgusting, actually. But it's quite <laughs> apt. Um, because today, Dan, we're going to be discussing the 1974 Toby. How do you even say it? Tobe Hooper? Toby? Toby. He's like Tom York. Put a, just put adds a y. an extra. Yeah, exactly. Idiot. Um, Toby Hooper film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What happened was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. 
This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. So, Dan, um, before we get into Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just just fill me in. Is there anything you've been watching, listening to, playing this week? <laughs> Quite a lot, actually. I saw um, a film on YouTube called Out of the Loop, um, mm-hmm. which I'd never heard of, to be honest. And I thought, how am I not? Aware you kept of this? out of the loop. Huh? Were you kept <laughs> out of the loop? <laughs> Sorry, go on. Yeah, the whole like music industry has been conspiring against me. Um, you, and you'd enjoy it as well. It's a film uh, from 1997 about the Chicago music industry. Right. And there's all this stuff about all the, you know, all the major labels went from Seattle once they'd exhausted Seattle and bought up all those bands. They went to Chicago. Mm -hmm. So they're interviewing like Touch and Go, uh, record label, uh, Jesus Lizard, Veruca Salt. Yeah, um, remember them. uh, A few other bands that I'd never heard of, some of which were terrible and some of which actually seemed pretty good. And there's Mm -hmm. all this stuff about like, is it right to sell out? And if you sign with a major label, what can you expect? Oh, uh, Steve Albini was being interviewed in it. Yeah. so that was really cool. Didn't know anything about it. And uh, so, yeah, like, all the comments of people going, oh my God, I've been looking to see this for 20 years. And um, yeah, someone's uploaded Jesus. that. So that was really cool. Yeah. Nice. What, um, else, uh, what else have you been doing? I've been listening to um, this uh, guy called Reptoid. Right. Who is, it's one guy and he seems to be, he's a drummer. And I don't know how he does it live. But I think he has like a little condenser mic in a mask. Right. So he drums and sings and he has all these um, samples and synths and things going. Um, but I was listening to his album called Worship False God, which just came out. And I thought that was really cool. It's kind of like, it's like lightning bolt. It's like, it's like industrial yep. noise rock, um, but with some, some kind of like quite heavy, stodgy, um like motorheadish kind of riffs and some um some kind of like thrash sounds as well but it's weird it's pretty weird his whole presentation is quite weird but i thought it was quite cool because it's just this like and that's that's what i wanted to do at some point i remember um thinking like being in a band as the, not on my own but as the drummer and having some kind of like little mic strapped to my face with a mask um you know i think like, the, like like a boy band where it's just a little yeah, in front. <laughs> He's just taken that and like made it a bit more interesting, right? <laughs> and then um, in between, basically when I've been working, I've been watching old X-Files episodes. Oh, lovely. Um, they're what, really like comfortable. Hold on, like, what season? What season are we talking? Season Uno, right from oh, the start. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, some hokey ones, but yeah, still, still a fairly decent season. Really, it's really good stuff. Mm. I think it ratchets up, doesn't it, in two. And I think maybe three might be my favourite. But... Three's great. Three's where it kind of finds its stride. Yeah. The thing is, what I always used to love about X-Files specifically, I mean, I've I, the last time I rewatched the entire series was 
probably about five or six years ago. Like I went through the whole lot. Yeah. Um, and like those, what I always loved is the FBI scenes where they're in the actual office and usually it's like Scully talking to like some head honchos or whatever. Yeah. But it's like someone's, it's so 90s because it's the thriller, like that whole aesthetic. Because it looks like someone's like, let's just sit there in the dark. Let's turn the lights off. Like you'd never have that now. <laughs> like it just doesn't, everyone's, everything's got to be a bit more like, you know, real. Or whatever. High death. And it's like, if someone, I'm just expecting like a cleaner to come in and like, like switch all the lights on. Oh, sorry. didn't realize you're having a meeting. Sorry. Let me turn all the lights off. So dark. And I know that but that's kind of like part of the aesthetic and all this stuff. And obviously the style they're going for, but that was one of the things that I always remember stuck out when I was rewatching it. It's just like, <laughs> absolutely like all the monster stuff. It's like, I'm okay with, but just the office scenes that they're all just. <laughs> Where's the cigarette smoking man going to look? Exactly. Well, yeah. Can't just hide in the desk. Yeah. But I'm talking about just the normal, just the normal ones. Um, oh, right. Yeah. But it's, uh, I, I love X-Files. Obviously series close to, well, both our hearts. If I remember yeah. Rightly. Absolutely. Um, yeah. One of the, like, I'm not, I won't get into this now, but one of the seasons that people don't look back on fondly, but it's actually one of my favourite seasons, I think is season nine, I want to say, which is the one where um, Robert Patrick. No, oh, no, well, well the one one the reboot. Yeah, the reboot's awful, but the Robert Patrick's the Terminator 2 guy. Yeah. Um, David Duchovny left or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he stepped in um, and he was kind of like another Scully. So like Scully was a bit more of the believer because obviously she's seen loads by that point. And he was a bit like... He's a bit more hard-boiled, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah, he was like, I don't believe any of this shit. There's got to be a rational explanation. All those episodes of that whole arc with him in, top-notch, really great. Yeah, but I thought they, they were good as well. Like them. Mm. I didn't see them at the time, but I've watched them since. I thought he, yeah, I thought he was quite a good character. Mm, just dropping this really guy strong and he's basically episodes. like, no, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in all this, but I'm going to kick some butt. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it kind of also went back to the monster of the week kind of style, which is when I yeah. thought it was its strongest, really. There were some good story based ones, but generally speaking, like the standalone ones is what made it, made it great. Um, yeah, that's anyway, good. What have you been and, uh, engaging with? Um, uh, well, I think, I suppose I guess you gave me, I completed, um, I was going to say completed Last of Us 2. We did a whole episode on it. So what the f- <laughs> if you've been listening, you're going to already know that. Um, I played a bit of, and you might remember this. Do you remember the game Battletoads for the NES? Uh, I don't think I played it. I remember seeing adverts for it right. in magazines and comics. So I had it and it is notoriously difficult, um, which you don't realise at the time until someone goes back and says how difficult it was. Like, yeah, it was really difficult. Anyway, they did a, um, like a reboot, let's say. Um, it's not a remake it's not like it's the same it's a completely new game but um, yeah I got about I don't know two hours in I was like this is shit <laughs> just turned it off I really hated it but it's trying to be all like meta um, and a bit like tongue in cheek uh, and it was on Xbox Game Pass and I was just like this is shit but um, instead I played a little bit of uh, the people who did Life is Strange it's this company called Don't Nod They've released a game called, um, I think it's called Tell Me Why, uh, which is relatively new. And it's basically about twins, uh, well, twin um, girls uh, to begin to begin with. I don't know, I've got to be careful how I say this, but basically one of them um, transitions to a man. 
um, there's an incident where um, this guy now killed his mum or something. That's how it starts. There's no spoilers. And he's just been let out and he's met up with his um, twin sister. Or once identical, if that makes sense. And now um, they're kind of like rummaging back to their home, um, their old home where they grew up. But they have this like psychic connection between them. Um, and that's kind of like the gamey element of it. And it's all right. It's kind of the same as the Life is Strange stuff. It's very slow. It's very much a character kind of study thing, but it's okay. Um, so I played some of that. Uh, but stuff I've been watching, um, I saw Tenet today, uh, which is the new Christopher Nolan film. Um, went to the cinema to see that proper theatre experience. Scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's hardly anyone there, but it was um, it was good. And I really enjoyed it. It was, I'm, I won't go on it to, into it too much, but... Um, what did he do? This Nolan Christopher fella. Nolan, he's like one of the best filmmakers out there. So he did the whole Batman trilogy, the good ones, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, etc. Interstellar, um, Inception, uh, you know, Memento. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Dunkirk. Uh, yeah, all that, loads of stuff. Um, the Prestige, another one, really good one. Oh, yeah. Insomniac, um, I think he did as well, which was the Al Pacino, Robin Williams one. Christopher Nolan, I think it was. Um, I believe so. But yeah, really, uh, really great films. And uh, yes, this is a new one. And basically it's about um, future going backwards and forwards in time. So there's people who fight each other, but they're doing it in reverse. And then you kind of see things happen in one way and then it kind of switches and you see it from another way. And it is fucking cool. But it's also a complete head fuck because I'm still trying to make sense of the actual story. Um, Character-wise, it actually was a bit lame. I don't think it had much depth. And the first like hour was just like, it felt like each scene was introducing a new character um, and it just felt like it was not moving. It was just like him going to like another room to talk to someone and it doesn't make sense. And then he goes to another room to talk to another person and it doesn't make sense. And then there's a bit of action and then the same thing happens. And I'm just like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> like, what are they talking about? What is the, what is the story? Um, but by the end, I was like, man, that was cool. So it really stayed with me. I think it's worth seeing again. Definitely. I like that when a film um, sort of maybe doesn't quite land during the movie and then it kind of like gets under your skin mm. and you find yourself thinking about it a few days yeah. later. Definitely. Uh, which is definitely, kind of what yeah. happened to me with, with this film, actually, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Because I remember the first time I saw it, I think I was a bit, which was with you, mm. in your bedroom. Oh, really? Hello. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Saucy. I've been around Chainsaw Ooh, Massacre. Want to come, and to, to come to mine for <laughs> Netflix and chill? I've lined up a <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre on VHS. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I remember kind of being like, uh, um, a bit like nonplussed. Mm. But I kept thinking about it then, for days mm. afterwards, and like the sense of unease that it created. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's go let's go into it. Why not? Um, but yeah, this is, uh, so if people don't know, as we said before at the beginning of the show, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 
1974 horror film, often listed as one of the best horror films of all time. Um, and yeah, what makes it odd? Well, if you don't know anything about it, it's basically a group of, it's a classic horror trope of a group of teenagers going off the beaten track. They run into a family of essentially murderous cannibals and proceed to get murdered one by one. And, um, there's a lot of just general weird shit in there that makes it very odd. Um, so it's perfect for, uh, for the odd cast. Um, so yeah, I guess kind of, I made a lot of notes whilst I was watching it because I think I mentioned last week when the film came up, I actually did a paper on this film. I couldn't find it annoyingly. Um, because I mean, bear in mind, I think computers had only just been invented. <laughs> The pinnacle of your uh, academic achievements yeah. snuffed out. <laughs> yeah, but I vaguely do remember about it basically being the death of the American dream and about the inverted um, American family, if that makes yeah. sense, yeah. and how the disintegration of the American family is reflective of at the time where the American dream was going downhill or stuff, or people felt it was. Um, and yeah, so it was, um, it was quite interesting watching it again, but as well, like a lot, I picked up like a lot of stuff um, as I was watching it, which I, I'll kind of just like, I'll go, I'll go through, I'm not going to, I won't go through my notes too much. And yeah, just, um, uh, I'll kind of try and go through it chronologically according to my notes, but yeah, just chip in when, you know, when you feel, feel like it, I guess like okay. the first thing um, is that it was kind of phrased, it was um, put in the context of being a true story. So right at the beginning, there's a um, thing saying like, this is the true story of blah, 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 and all this. Um, and when people talk about like Blair Witch, um, yeah, it's a true story and stuff. You think, well, films like Texas Chainsaw did it first. Apparently this was kind of in a response to the fact that Watergate and all this stuff happened and um, Toby Hooper felt like um, the public were being lied to all the time and all yeah. this. And this was kind of a bit of that, like lying to the general public, but it does kind of frame it as if it's supposed to be based on a true story. There's Very an element where it's based. Yeah. There's right. an element where it's based on a true story because there was a murderer called Ed Gein and there's some other little tidbits, which um, I'll go into a bit later um, in terms of, you know, how this film was put together more inspired it um but what i really liked was like right from right from the off um like it's complete if you remember like the first bit you can just hear it's just pitch black and you just hear these noises and you're just like or whatever of like a flash going off but with each flash it's like some fingernails it's like a corpse and all this stuff it's just really like and this is one of the things about this whole film is the sound design. It's fucking great. Yeah. And it's really creepy. It's really horrible. Yeah. Um, and I actually copied this sequence when I did, I banged on about this a couple of times now, but when I did my short film, Bloom, there's a sequence, only, it's only about 20 seconds, which is exactly that. It's pitch black, flash, you see little bits. Um, but this is where I got it from, uh, was from this intro yeah. segment. Um, but they obviously do it like, million times i didn't have like any kind of corpse <laughs> stuff at hand um but immediately you're kind of like straight in with like it's like a dream like you're asleep a little bit yeah and the whole 
um, this whole film kind of works into the idea of like, it's just one big nightmare, which I'll kind of go into a little bit more later. But I really felt like this, it's almost like, and bear with me here, you're being read a story, <laughs> like story time for bed. And then you're kind of like asleep and you're starting to get these weird like flashes yeah. in. So it's kind of as if you're transitioning into this like dream state almost just from just from that. And also it's getting you asking questions of like, you know, what what is this? Where am I? Who's and what's weird, and I thought what was really cool is that the images are shocking, like the corpses and the stuff and the fact that whatever. But the element, you're just like, who's taking the picture? <laughs> like Yeah. Forget everything else is going on. The fact the fact that what makes it really scary is that there's someone there taking pictures of it yeah, in the dark. Yeah. Um I hadn't thought about it. I really like that bit. What did you think about that whole intro segment? It seems quite stylistic compared yeah. to the rest of the film. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if they got someone else in at the end to do some nice um, title sequences and things. Yeah. I I really like the actual title sequence it's itself, which comes, which is like that red, like pure red blood with all the weird images behind it. It's all really cool. Um, and I think the colour generally in this film is great. Um, and like that intro right after that bit when it's like that, it's like a scarecrow in a field, right? But it's like, um, it's a two, body. Two bodies graveyard. on top of a, yeah. That's right. It's been set up in this weird thing, but like from that shot, it's horrific and it's disgusting, but also it is like yellow, like hot. It is like fucking hot. So there's all this stuff going on in America right now, right? In, I think it's like on the West coast where, the sky's orange <clears throat> and it goes oh, yeah. very much like that. Like post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland almost, but it, it's the fact the whole film they're going on about how hot they are. Yeah. Um, like they're in hell almost like everything's just burning up around them. And that sweat and dirt and grit is just like in the film yeah. everywhere, which is fucking great. Um, and also the fact that it's like all dusty and just horrible. And yeah, they're put in this like weird, um, weird position and there's something almost like um, which comes throughout this kind of like tribal, sacrificial, cultish, like satanic thing up throughout the whole film. And this is part of it, like as if they've built this shrine or something from the dead bodies um, and put them in this like um, position. Uh, and you're hearing all this like new stuff about like cholera and all this, like people dying. So it's like, this is like, America's going to hell yeah. <laughs> in like one image. Yeah. Like it's, it's fucking bad. It's really fucking hot. <laughs> Everywhere, all this bad shit's happening. Um, and then you've got the music in the background, which is like that ding. And it's like, this almost like, I want to say like Buddha kind of music. Like, um, I don't know, like as if someone's just got like a, like it's like an Eastern, uh, I don't know, like sensibility okay. or something. Um, and so that again kind of puts it in this like mystical, supernatural, weird Drowning. state because it's not actual music, it's more just like instruments and noises and all this, um, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, a lot of like groaning and screaming and all this stuff kind of layered on top. So it feels like as if it's like a church choir gone wrong. <laughs> Um, and all that. So that's like in the first few seconds and like immediately, I just remember sitting there when I was watching, rewatching this and I haven't seen it in a while, just being like, 
this has set the tone yeah like perfectly for what's about to happen i feel unsettled it's fucking weird stuff's happening and it's also relevant to the story because the you find out it's the hitchhiker guy later has been doing it and taking the photos it's not as if it's for now either like for shock value it's actually there's a plot point (laughs) to it as well um and yeah and they've got like a shot of the moon again the moon mystical like a supernatural thing to it um and yeah just that whole intro sequence was just was just great you could feel feel the heat um coming off the fucking screen um and then you get and then you get an armadillo (laughs) yeah you do yeah (laughs) the dead armadillo just lying on the road fucking roadkill um yeah and Even that's uh, quite i thought that was quite uh an arresting image yeah, yeah. again i, mean, I all think this early part it's all just really sensory isn't it just mm. being fed these images around you know it's all, it's all well it's death isn't it but it's just um it's not too in your face and intense that's right it's just building up that sense of foreboding and unease i think yeah it's making you feel disgusted like on purpose, yeah, and she said, like, just full of that on these. Um, and yeah, this is where you meet basically our Scooby Doo gang, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a group of weirdos. And I guess it's like, so there's the whole thing, a lot of films are doing this at the time, but there's a general, like, you know, Hills Have Eyes or even like Deliverance or whatever, where there's like a fear of small town America. Um, but at the same time, there's it's, so there's a reversal where it's the fear of like big city folk basically coming in to take over um, and all this, like a clashing of cultures almost, even though you're in the same country or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's that kind of element to it. Um, and one of the things I'm going to say, I'll say it now, but just to kind of, as I was watching it, I was kind of trying to keep in mind the film is that I would maybe argue as an idea and tell me what you think about this. Yeah. That, the wheelchair guy, Franklin, mm-hmm. the Leatherface, and essentially what happens in the film, whatever, is almost like Leatherface is like the monster that's the wheelchair guy's like creation, almost. Like he's a reflection of how, of his like impotency, his inadequacy, his like emasculation. And that's why, you know, I'm talking this on a purely like you know, idea. Um, theory theoretical level yeah where like the chainsaw like all these fucking instruments are um phallic symbol let's say and um the fact that leatherface looks similar to franklin he's disabled in another way um mentally rather than physically but also he's like a big powerful guy who ends up like killing all those guys and you can kind of see franklin emulate some of the stuff that they do later on. And it's almost as if like he's created this monster um, from his, basically the fact that he's being left out and he's not like a normal teenager um, or anything like that. And like the fact that he's pathetic throughout the whole thing um, and all this. And I would argue he's actually for the first hour, he's the main character. (laughs) Yeah. There's something in that definitely i mean there's definitely parallels drawn between franklin 
and members of the family, obviously the hitchhiker character, uh, quite explicitly. Mm. Um, yeah, him, he and he and Leatherface are obviously quite vulnerable characters as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's definitely I can see that definitely links. And you're, mm. you're right; he is the main main character for the first hour or, or however so long. How do you feel about about him as a as a character? I feel really sympathetic towards him, but when I was watching some stuff, they were kind mm. of saying the actors and the directors were like, "Oh, he's so annoying," and he kind of like yeah. he he kind of asks for it and gets what he deserves. I was like, "That's yeah. so harsh." Yeah, apparently he was a bit method about it as well, the actual actor guy, and he was really annoying them all. Um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, there's that element where you're kind of stuck with him and he is pathetic and there is an element where you kind of want to see, um, he is kind of asking for it a little bit, but he's asking for it in a sense of not only being so pathetic, but also... Um, there's like that mysticism around it from a narrative thing where he's kind of like asking for it almost as well. So he's the instigator yeah. between bearing in mind, he's the one that wants to go to the house. Yeah. He's the one that sends them off <laughs> to like go get killed basically. Um, and, and all this. So it's, um, yeah, it's, I, th I think that um, he is an annoying character, <laughs> but also I think he works to be, um, yeah, he's supposed to be kind of pathetic. But also I think he's a good kind of like red herring um, because I think if you came into this, it's one of those weird things, right, where we watched it very we kids, we kind of knew what's happening. But I think maybe if you came into this fresh, you would think that, are there spoilers, by the way? Should say <laughs> <laughs> they all die, sorry. Um, well, almost all of them. But there's, um, there's a minute where you might think, oh, he's the disabled one, maybe he's going to, you know, yeah be the survive. last survivor yeah, yeah. um you that's not the case <laughs> i was yeah, I'm jumping ahead but i was absolutely even though i knew he died i was still absolutely shocked when that happens mm. just don't expect and like i said i felt very um sympathetic towards him so when he yeah. it's horrible when he died i don't I didn't i didn't want that to happen to him at all mm. i also think he's the most charismatic and you know and you see him being excluded by the group and i just felt a bit sorry for him and he gets more screen time and you sort of warm to him a bit. And mm. uh, yeah, but maybe you know, that's it. And then he's sort of like symbol symbolically killed off. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a thing where like almost all of them, if they're taking the piss out of him or whatever, they seem to kind of not die in that order, but like, I can't remember any of their names basically, but I think there's, and it, it's left to like him and his sister. Um, I think that's why she's like the, the survivor in that if we're going with the theory of like Leatherface is his own creator, like Frankenstein's monster almost. Um, and there's almost this like, and I might be reading it, it too much into this, but um, I don't know, like maybe he's like lustful towards his sister. He just really cares about her. And that's how she kind of, survives or something i don't know i, th I was she wasn't thinking. nasty to him yeah but she was towards the end and you know she was kind of she wanted to get the torch torch being a phallic symbol and there <laughs> was like a bit of a power symbols. it's all there mate and uh but there's a but either way if you think of it as a phallic symbol or not there's a power struggle there between who gets the torch and whatever 
Um, and she, at one point, she's just like, I can't push you. But he makes such a fucking fuss that she ends up having to push him anyway and things mm-hmm. like that. He's just such a fucking wet tissue. Um, yeah, it was, I thought it was all very interesting. But um, yeah, we kind of jumped a little bit a little bit ahead there. But um, yeah. Should we do a bit of exposition? Yeah, go on. Roll back a bit and, uh, well, <laughs> should we go back to when we see them first in the van? In the car, yeah. Go on, I've, I've talked a lot. Why don't you take over for a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, what, first impressions seeing them and thinking about, you know, when it's set and everything, it's kind of like it's it's the death of the summer of love still. Right. Isn't it? It's, um, you know, post-Vietnam, post-Manson family murders. So that's kind of there in the background as well. So idea, yeah. you know, and they're, the hippies. they look pretty hippy-dippy. Um, and actually Franklin stands out from that, doesn't he? Because he's... When they pick up, so they find a hitchhiker and they pick him up. Mm. Although before before that, actually, they have some interactions, don't they? With like a group of old, these old old men. They're yeah, with the, the, the graveyard, because they're like, these graves got dug up. I'm like, my our grandfather was here or something. But there's all these like, they're all like drunk and they're weird looking and they're all like a bit horrible or sleazy or something about that. So there's already that in, inherent like fear. And they're also old. Yeah. I think the emphasis there is old. So there's a general, like, not only is there a thing of there from out of town, there's also a generational thing here as well. It's like the young yeah. people, the future, the American future or whatever. Um, that really yeah, one, unnerved yeah. me. I could really feel like my attention ratcheting up mm. just from that, like the stress of that social situation yeah. and how horrible they were. Yeah, they were really horrible. Um, and yeah, they're also like, I remember um, one of them in the van is talking about like the Zodiac and all this stuff and Neptune or whatever. So again, playing into Classic. that like mystic. Classic hippie-deppie stuff. Yeah, oh. thing as well. Yeah, new age stuff as well. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, sorry. But yeah, that whole bit was like, because I, I, I forget, I forgot basically watching it this time around that I just, I can't remember what I, I thought this bit was. But I'm like, oh, they are actually like making sure their grandfather's grave is all right. Um, there is a reason why they're there. They're not just mucking around. Yeah. And again, like you said with that opening, it kind of does tie into the plot point of there have mm. been these grave robberies. Yeah. Um, so then they pass this guy, this hitchhiker, mm. and they pick him up and he looks pretty weird. Mm. He's got that like port, port stain birthmark and yeah franklin in this scene he's he, he seems to mesh more with the weirdo hitchhiker yeah as a character than with his hippie brethren yeah well it's true this plays into like my theory a little bit more because when they talk about killing the cows and there's that one great shot by the way of that cow looking dazed and there's just that spit or whatever just hanging off it yeah and that always stays with me which is really weird because it lasts for literally like one second yeah um, and it looks fucking horrible. I don't know if it was real or whatever, but it's fucking nasty. It feels like stock footage, doesn't it? I think yeah. that's why, because it, it's suddenly it's something totally like stylistically different. And it's, mm. I think it is real. And there's these little like, just to kind of go down that hole a little bit, there's loads of these little like cutaways and like sounds and stuff throughout that just like, it's like picking up the details of disgust. Um which is really good. There's like a bit where there's like loads of spiders or something later on. And oh, like yeah. Weird sound. And he does loads of these things just to kind of pick up. Like, so you're, you're intrinsically looking at like how disgusting 
this stuff is getting really close to it. Um, but you're right. Yeah. Franklin gets weirdly like excited by the brutality of it. And he's getting like really animated about like killing the cows and all this stuff. And then who turns up, but this guy who kills the cows. Step one of his like (laughs) bringing his fantasies to life almost. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But yeah. Good theory. I like it. Yeah. Um, And he he professes a, 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 a love. A love for the head cheese. Yeah, fucking head cheese. What is well, head I cheese? I don't even know what I it do is. Like the head cheese. <laughs> My brother makes the best head cheese or something. <laughs> Why is head cheese? I just presume it's. Um, I don't know if anyone's listening from the uh, south. That could uh, let us know. We don't have head cheese in the UK. <laughs> no, I, don't know what it is. I thought is it like just like pate or something? <laughs> I don't know. How do they eat it? I well, well, he, t- he tells you what it is, doesn't he? But I don't know how it's like and. Sold. Yeah, how people no eat idea. it. Just eating no with idea. a bowl, out of a bowl yeah. and a spoon or something. Anyway, oh, that's vile. But um, again, he looks so weird. And because you're kind of trained in horror tropes, mm. you think it's too obvious that he's going to like attack them or, or whatever. Yeah. And so that whole time you're like, he's not going to, but it's just increasingly weird. Yeah. And you're kind of in the shoes of the, um, you know, of the, of the, the youngsters. Yeah. And you're kind of like, it just makes you feel really uneasy because he doesn't do any, until he um, attacks them with the, with the blade, he doesn't do anything, doesn't step over the mark. But you're like, mm. you're like we need to get this guy out of here. He's yeah, really with weird. And it just yeah. creates, again, it's like awkward social sort of tension. Yeah, but there's definitely like a <clears throat> like a social economic thing as well going on because there's at one point he's like, my family's always been in me or whatever, and then they talk about the gun and he's like, oh, you don't want to use the gun, he's like why not? It's like no, 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 you know, the gun puts people out of jobs. So again, talking about the state of America and the fact that you know modernization and technological advancement and stuff and all these like working class folk are being put out of jobs and stuff. Um, so there's a bit of a you know, socioeconomic commentary there with that bit. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's kind of like, you you think, you know, uh, it's not too bad, but then when he does, he takes the picture and then it asks for $2, like $2, like whatever. Like I know back then $2 was you know, a bit more than what it been now, but yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, and they're like, no, I'm not going to give you that. And that's when it kind of gets, <laughs> it kind of freaks out. But yeah, I can't remember if the, he cuts himself before or after that. I think he's already cut himself. Right, so um, that's the bit where it's like, okay, this guy's a psycho. But he's yeah. also like trying to like, he's like looking around, like, you know, you kind of want him to like settle down or something. <laughs> like, it's just all comfortable. Like nervous tension, yeah. Yeah, and he just looks a bit like retarded or whatever in some ways. Like, it's oh, horrible. And then what's the next thing? So yeah, when, when they decline buying the photo, then he... Mm gets all this paraphernalia out yeah it looks like drug paraphernalia but he just like burns that photo mm. in what looks like a kind of mystical rite. yeah and Again, uh yeah. and is that when he does all this kind of like he does some like sticking out his tongue and all this business yeah so that's i thought that was a bit um that kind of comes into play a bit later as well um but yeah he kind of like he kind of when he cuts himself and then he cuts franklin 
there's kind of, it's almost like there's some like blood sacrifice here. It takes the photo and obviously photos associated with, um, you know, you know, Japan or whatever. It was like, you know, trapping the soul and yeah, all this yeah. stuff. So it's almost as if you're right, he's done some like spiritual bright or something like that. He's like marked his prey or something like that. And yeah. um uh yeah, like a sacrificial kind of thing. And then yeah, he kind of when he gets thrown out, yeah, he's like blowing his tongue, which at the time you're just like it's, it stands out because it's quite a childish thing to do. Obviously, it looks silly, it's actually, a bit doesn't nutty. It? Yeah. Um after all but, that menace and tension, he's just running along going <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, but that kind of comes into play um, a bit later on. But yeah, so kind of jumping ahead. Um, but what I love about this as well is that there's, I don't know if it's around this time um, where they talk about how it's like, oh, my, our granddad lived here or something. Yeah. And he says, and he goes like the old Franklin place. And I'm like, but his name's Franklin. So is his name Franklin Franklin? <laughs> I hope so. I was. So if it's the old Franklin place, I might be your Franklin. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, so that whole bit is like quite unnerving, but you're like, uh, thank God he's gone. Um, yeah. It's and, a massive relief. Yeah. Um, and I quite like, you know, when horror films do that, where it's like, it's quite early on, but they've like introduced a threat or something quite soon um, into the film. Um, and then from there on, it's it kind of like it's a bit more of a slow, slow build. Um, yeah. But I like that initial, like, you already feel uneasy. Totally. And now there's been a direct threat. And now you're like, fuck. Like, there's almost like a, been a bit of relief, as in like, all oh, right, I'm over that hill a little bit. There's this big unease. Something's happened. He's kicked out. So we've kind of made it so I can kind of settle a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's what they give you then, isn't it? They give you... The um, these characters are sort of relaxing. They get they get to the house, yeah. And you as a as the audience, you're you're kind of chilling out a bit, yeah. But um, he is kind of there in the back of your mind, and it's a great bit of misdirection, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. Because when you get the reveal of Leatherface, you're just not expecting it at all. You're still kind of thinking about about yeah, Hitchhiker. Yeah. You think yeah. Hitchhiker's the main the villain here he's yeah. the guy that's been robbing the graves and all this and um i think it just really yeah it makes that moment so shocking yeah when he's finally revealed yeah it's yeah it's, it's good and that whole before he yeah before leatherface even comes into the picture um there's a lot of time more time than i thought where they're just like faffing about yeah um and I guess because they stop off for gas and there's like, who we find out is basically like the kind of older brother of the three who's a bit more, I want to say a bit more mature. He's just as crazy. But here you're like, here's a like older gentleman, looks a bit smarter, whatever, fine. He's talking intelligently. He doesn't seem like drunk or anything. Yeah. Um, and he and he's like, and what I love, and again, it's this whole thing um, where it's like, city folk and young folk like poking their noses in business that's not to do with them he's like don't go to that house <laughs> like don't go there don't go around other people's property just fuck off basically and then ask them if they want some of the barbecue yeah. um which you know you find out later you really you really don't want um and then the, yeah and when they see um so there's there's two things so they ask about the barbecue right 
in one of the next scenes, Franklin is eating a sausage. Which I makes me think <laughs> that he's eaten some of the sausage from the barbecue, which means that he is now a step further in this ritual because he's now eating human flesh. I thought you but, were going to say it's a phallic imagery. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a bit of a flaccid sausage, I'm going to be honest. Um, but what I love as well is that when they're like, oh, he's put something on the fan, <laughs> it's the artist that's formerly known as Prince. <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> Watching it, just imagining Prince had done it. <laughs> the Prince swans fan. out playing Raspberry Beret. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking hell, so funny. Um, yeah. And I was also thinking, like, they keep talking about, oh, you know, and then I think Sally, the sister, says something like, oh, we came here when I was um, a kid. Like, we stayed here. And it's like, so they stayed. Like, that other fact, like the Leatherface family has been there for ages. They were literally a stone's throw from this cannibalistic family when they were kids, like, like some time ago. So it's yeah. like, so they're telling me that their grandparents didn't know that they were living next to these like cannibalistic killers with Leatherface, or whatever. Maybe, maybe they didn't. Did. And then there's part of me that was thinking, maybe they're all related. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Franklin, 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 is <laughs> is actually like related <laughs> to these people. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that whole thing, I was just like, God, that's weird. What does it mean that she was there when they were a kid? It's old rickety house. Um, but it's not as if like, it's got nothing to do with the other family because they find like bones still hanging and like these little, like this little like nest sacrifice or something in the middle of the house. So they, or whoever has obviously been there. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit intrigued about the, what the initial setup for that whole story was. Oh yeah, you want to see, you want to see the prequel that explores the uh, Franklin legacy. Yeah, yeah. It was like, what were these two families like? I imagine like one was all like posh and posh and prim, and then you've got that. It's like oh, those weirdos over there with their bone <laughs> bone lounge. Um, but they're in like fairly close close proximity. Um, yeah, so I don't know what the whole background. Let bygones be bygones. Yeah, I think it was more just like they need, it just gives them an excuse to just go near it more than anything. Um, but yeah, one of the bits, so with the um, tongue blowing and all this stuff. So when they all go off in search of the house, they're all being kids, mucking around. Franklin is having trouble getting out of the van. He's lost his knife. Phallic imagery again, he's lost his uh, potency, um, which he gave to his sister, by the way, something in that, I'm sure. And. Uh, <laughs> And anyway, but what happens is we're hearing them doing all this and he's like shouting, but the camera is sticking with him and he starts blowing raspberries as well, which means that he's essentially, again, kind of, I'm going with my theory again here, but he's starting to like turn, basically. He's almost like evoking the spirits almost that have been, um, that are being part of this whole like weird nightmare, whatever's kind of going on. But the fact, I think it's very, um, they've done it on purpose, the fact that he's emulated what the hitchhiker has done only like a few minutes before. Yeah, it's very noticeable. And even if you don't think about it too literally, you still you get a sense like, oh, he, he's definitely, something's going on and he's doing what that w- weird hitchhiker did. And it does feel mm. like, it feels like an, uh, yeah, like a like he's education. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think that for me, I'm like, bear in mind, we still haven't seen Leatherface yet. I'm like, oh, this is all part of like, creating the 
But essentially, like, I love the bit, like, at the end of that scene, after that, as he's trying to, like, wheel himself out, he, like, hits his leg and, like, screams ouch or something. He's just so pathetic. He just can't do anything. Um, I feel so so bad for him at this point because they're all just, mm. like, they hit the house and they're like, see ya! Yeah, and they're yeah. so selfish. And they brought him along, and he's just got to sit there in his wheelchair on his own, while, yeah. while they go and like park by the lake or whatever. Yeah, it's only probably. But they're like, let's go swimming. It's like, look at the state of the house. What do you think the pool's going to be like? <laughs> Fucking weirdo. I just presumed it was just like, let's go, just go for a shag and just whatever. Um, but what? And this is part of it again. So this is the first lot where it's like, yeah, it's just down this path. And then he kind of sends them off. And again, like each time he's doing this, he's basically sending them off to get slaughtered. Um, and I think there's something in the fact that that's happened immediately after. He's like blown the raspberry yeah. at them. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's when they, and then when we start going near the house, we see like there's all these like cool little details, like all the cars and whatever, but there's this like old ripped tent. And like there's loads of like clocks with nails through them. And I'm like, again, it's this mystical thing. Like, it's almost as if time doesn't exist here. Like, this is laying outside of time now. Um, yeah. And, and I was also like, is this like talking about the fact it's like, you know, they said about um, how the guns put us out of jobs or whatever. It's almost like, is this a rebellious gesture against progress or something like that? Yeah, that's how um, I kind of um, saw it rather than sort of symbolic. I, I thought like what sort of character motivation of these people. Yeah. It's like a way of saying, yeah, we don't accept your your way of life. Yeah. We do things our way here. There, there is no time. Yeah. And then uh, basically here's where we get our first look at Leatherface. Amazing. Um, yeah. So tell me about your, what you remember basically about this moment or anything. That's just so, it's just so shocking. You, uh, I mean, that corridor is so evocative. Mm. That narrow co- corridor and he's calling into the house and it already looks claustrophobic. You just do, do not go, do not step in that corridor. Mm. Um, but then you hear that horrible, you hear the squealing, mm-hmm. uh, which is, well, to me, it seemed clearly sound like a pig. Mm. So you think, Oh God, someone's, someone's killing a pig in there. You know, you've had yeah, all this stuff about slaughtering and mm. someone's killing, someone's killing a pig. Um, and if you know, if you haven't already been exposed to all the visuals from the movie and Leatherface and everything, and you didn't know that he existed, you'd maybe assume the hitchhiker's down there or something. Yeah. Um, Something's happening, and you assume he's going to walk through that door and go, and you're going to like, oh no, don't go down the corner and don't go, don't go in the basement, mm. and you don't get that. You just get this huge, scary man with a fucking leather mask on. Mm. making the horrible animal noises and just bludgeons him to death. Bam. Um, so it's just so shocking because you, you just don't expect it at all. Yeah. Um, and it's a great, it happens, great moment. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, it happens very... This is one of the cool things with it. It happens very quickly. Yeah. Um, he's not just like knocked out. He's like shaking, if you remember, on the floor. Yeah. So he takes like another hit or whatever. That's in itself quite... Again, it's like an animal or something. Like it's yeah. quite distressing in that sense. Um, and he gets pulled in, and then the metal door shuts, which is fucking Slam. Yeah. And it's that the music just goes doom or whatever. And now you're like, okay, shit, just got real, basically. So yeah. that's like 
like you've been kind of leading up thinking, all right, whatever. And now when, as soon as that happened, it all happens in a few seconds and you're like, okay, it's like turned a corner here. We're like yeah. now in the second act, basically. Yeah. Like the yeah. structure. And I, saw, I think um, also, sorry, go on. sorry, I saw, no, sorry, you carry on. No, I was just going to say that it's, um, it's something to worth remembering here is that even though he's the monster yeah. um, and something that happens a bit later on, like essentially he's, um, these are trespassers, basically trespassers yeah. on his property. And he's terrified actually, yeah. like is what it's actually is about. Um, and, you know, a bit later on, the older brother's like, I told you not to leave your brother alone in the house or whatever. And clearly it's like, it's because Leatherface is, um, and that's his whole backstory is that he's supposed to be like a, um, a mentally uh, disabled person basically. And that he really struggles with that. And there's that great bit, which comes on a bit later where he kills like someone else, one of the other ones come in and he goes and he's like freaking out and he's looking out the window and he's really distressed. He's rubbing his, rubbing his head and he's like, doesn't know what to do. And that little bit there, it like adds so much to the film because yeah. it basically humanizes it, which is what a lot of like slasher films and stalker films tended not to do. It kind of gave him this weird, like you were saying earlier, like a vulnerability. Yeah. And also you realize like these people are just fucking turning up to his house. He probably doesn't see anyone no. ever. Yeah. And he's fucking scared like a little child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but at that first instance, you're just like, what's that? <laughs> And he's dead. And then you've got this, um, it's quite famous now, but um, this shot, which apparently was not in the storyboard and they weren't going to do it, but um, uh, the cinematographer and I think Hooper as well pushed for it, where it goes under the bench and it follows her ass as she walks up to the house, the girlfriend. Um, and it's cool because now the reason why it works so well is that now the house is a threat. So you've got this big dominating house looking down on you and also there's a kind of mix between, you know, a lot of, a lot of films, there's a mix between like sex and horror and all this stuff and sexualization, sometimes of violence, whatever. Um, but you've got like her fucking like sexy ass basically walking towards this like big house. And um, a lot of what good horror does is it mixes those kind of things. A lot of, you'll find like uh, Silent Hill, I always use it as an example. So they did a lot of research onto like what makes people scared and it's taking things that seem normal and human mm. and twisting them. Yeah. And also sex, anything like related to sex, um, uh, and especially if you do it in a horrific way, makes things like tenfold more horrific. So the fact you've got this like sexy butt walking, but you're also fearful of this house is messing with you um, on a subconscious level. Yeah. Um, as a man. But um yeah, just the idea of like when there's like a sexual angle to it, um, it kind of weirdly adds to the weirdness and horror of the situation. Um, yeah, so that whole shot is great, and a lot of people talk about that one shot. But yeah, it was gonna—they weren't even gonna do it. It wasn't storyboarded or prepared for or anything, but they fought for it and they did it, and it's a really cool shot. Um, and then this is where we see the the bone room. Oh, so cool! Which was, is cool. I was watching this. Um documentary that was on my my dvd mm. and they're talking to the art director right <laughs> he's a great guy he's like um he could have been in the film himself he's this old like he seems like texan he's an old guy and he, he speaks with a kind of whistle 
just like, oh, anyway, he's like talking about, um, yeah, he got really into it, like collecting the animal bones to be able to make this room and really thinking about, you know, what was good is he, he kind of said like, you know, I didn't try and make masterpieces. I really tried to get into the mind of the character who would make this mm. and using what would be available to them. And then, you know, and, and that, that, that extended to the mask itself. Mm. And then he threw out some kind of like disses to um, Tom Savini, who made the, right. who made the uh, mask for um, the oh, third film. He was like... Oh, Tinsel 3? Oh, I think, no, sorry, 2. He made it for 2. Right. Yeah. It was like, you can just see Tom Savini in it. You know, it looks like it's been made by a professional Hollywood art director. But yeah. I want my stuff to look like it has been made by a mentally retarded person mm. <laughs> just out of everything they had to hand. And I think, you know, that's, that's, it does feel authentic. Yeah. It feels grimy and it's just so unpleasant. That chicken in a cage you yeah. know, image of like, you know, it's pretty, pretty resonant. It's like just trapped. Yeah, it's like, cool because you're kind of like, she's looking around and seeing it all. And so again, it's picking up all the details. There's that really great fucking wide shot of like what's supposed to be like a couch of some sort. Oh, yeah. Um, that really sticks with me. Um, but yeah, at the moment, you're kind of like looking around like, and I think that's what is great about it is that you as the audience, it's basically piqued your um, curiosity, right? You've seen that little bit. You didn't really get that far in that the face killed him. But now you want to know what's in that house. Yeah. What's great is that, and a lot of good, I think I've said this before, like horror films, whatever, do this, is they slowly show you the architecture of the house without you even knowing it. So literally, I know, having watched that film recently, I would be able to like mentally go around that house and know what was in pretty much every room. Um, and I know how it's built up. So by doing things like that, they're showing you how it's all put together. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea there's just this room full of bones because it also makes no sense. Like there's bones on the floor. It's like, it's not like a hospitable, nice place. It's like this weird like shrine. It doesn't work on a practical level either, which yeah. I think kind of messes with my head. Um, you should go there. Yeah. You should go there and have a walk around. It's a, a grill. Yeah, like a yeah nice... I heard it's a restaurant now. <laughs> you imagine? So fucking weird. Um, I would go there. Yeah, if I was, I've, I've been to Texas actually, but yeah, I'd go back to go there. Um, but yeah, so she gets put up on a meat hook. Um, and then we see him pick up the chainsaw and chop the guy up. And I think what was cool about, um, that bit and about the film basically is that the weapon, it's not just like a scary weapon. He's using it as a practical instrument. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not like, oh, I'm doing this for effect or anything like that. He's like, this is what I use. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) it's not like. Oh, it's a chainsaw because it's like, apparently Hooper got the idea because he thought, what's the quickest way of going through crowds of people at Christmas? Chainsaw, probably. Ah. Probably true. Um, but <laughs> it's a practical use for yeah. Leatherface as a character, which I think just is good. A, it added to the realism kind of of it. He's just a hardworking guy. Yeah. Say realism. Being, yeah. being in, industrious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, we cut back to the people, but they're having like, what I love, and again, it's like what you were saying before, Franklin's really worried that the hippie guy is following them. And you're just thinking by this point, how stupid was I to like think that hippie guy was the threat? Like there's something so much bigger happening yeah. now. Um, 
and he's he's just worried that the hippie guy is following them like forget about it kind of thing um and yeah they're all kind of getting annoyed at franklin and so are you as the audience um and uh yeah i think um what happens is it someone else comes in oh the the next guy comes in with a like afro yeah and he opens that freezer and you see her dead and then suddenly she gets up and she starts shaking and there's that fucking horrible noise like screeching yeah oh yeah and, and then immediately leatherface comes in kills him shuts the freezer and all that and he's like freaked out and i'm just like that whole bit again it's these like slow slow build and then then climax 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 and then suddenly he comes back down um, because it all happens so quickly that uh it's almost as if like you know it's it's happened before you can even process what's happening yeah um and yeah, it's really great and that shot of him where he's like licking his lips and all this under the mask which is like Ugh. is that where you got it from because you do that a lot don't you what lick my lips you do that <laughs> yeah only after i've put girls in the freezer <laughs> it makes me thirsty um so this is when it kind of there's a bit of a jump cut here really because then um it's night time <laughs> basically by this point and franklin and sally are just like by the car like screaming and shouting and you as the audience are like shut up yeah <laughs> like, shut the fuck up what are you doing just get out of there honking um, the horn yeah but they haven't got keys they fight over the flashlight she's like i can't push you um and it's like oh god franklin like let's just get rid of franklin and that's what i do like is that you just want you you do get annoyed with the audience and whatever and so when like they're going through the pitch black and if you um it goes on like a little bit longer than you feel like it should because you're she's struggling it's so dark you can hardly see anything they're shouting whatever and you're, you're the whole time you're just thinking oh my god like just leave you should have just left him like fuck him like she's a little, a little tiny blonde girl pushing this guy in a wheelchair she can't do it pitch black and then as if the wish was commanded, <laughs> Leatherface comes out and sticks him with a fucking chainsaw. Do um, you really think is that is that how it's? In, I think that is how it was intended to work. Because I, I again, I just I feel sorry for for him, and, and um, I felt for them in that situation. But I do appreciate that it does seem that the filmmakers are trying to position it like that, as if yeah. like he's so annoying, and then bam, him off. Yeah. Well, this is it. So from here on end, there's about whatever, close to half hour or something. This is the third act at this point, really. And um, from here on out, and this is what really makes the film for me, it is nonstop nightmare fuel (laughs) through to the final second. It does not stop at any point. And this is what I love. It's like a sprint. It's It's I think that's what kind of, I think has the biggest effect on me is that it's like a half hour of a frenzy of stuff. Um, and it's done really well. Suddenly our main character's killed off, bit of a like psycho thing there, which is also based on a gun. Um, but two thirds away through like Sally, who's not really done much at all by this point. It's suddenly our heroine. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And now it's a case of like, she's just running for her life, but it's really like close like, and I think the fact that she, they do stuff like she gets hit by a branch or she gets caught in the br- brushes or whatever and all this stuff so that it slows her down so they can have a lot of these moments where they're like really fucking close. Um, and that whole chase scene is just a 
amazing. And then she runs into the house, into Leatherface's actual house, which is great. And you're like, Screaming. no, no, no. And you're like, fuck, you're in the house. Fuck's sake, because you see that red corridor and all this. You're like, oh my God, she's literally in the worst place. She goes upstairs and you're like, okay. So you're immediately like, I wonder what's upstairs. Goes to that room, which is like that horrible, like it's almost like, I think it's, it's not filmed in a fish lens, but almost. And um, it's just those two fucking corpses there. And she's like, help me, help me. And they're just <laughs> dead. You find out, then one of them's not. It's like rocking back for this completely bare, empty room. Uh, they're just sitting there. Like there's just two fucking things just sitting there, just looking at each other. But that in itself is fucking horrific. Um, and she suddenly realises where she is. And I love the way she just fucking jumps out the window. <laughs> but before she does that, actually, there's a bit where she goes downstairs and he Leatherface comes in through the front door and she screams. And he like, <laughs> he like jumps back a bit. Like, oh, oh, God. And then starts after her again. Like he was almost a bit <laughs> scared of her there for a second. Yeah. And screaming. But yeah, she jumps right out of a fucking window. And I remember thinking... God, that's brave. I remember it happening, but I was just like, she just goes for it. She just <laughs> cracks out of that window. You would though, um, wouldn't you? Adrenaline yeah, pumping. You'd just be like, you would. there's the exit. Go on, get out. There's a way out, I'm out. Um, but yeah, um, they're like, and then again with the chase, they're closing the distance and all this stuff. I thought it was really fucking cool. And then she gets to the gas station. And you think- and he's like right behind her. Yeah. And the door, it like keeps open. And you're just like, again, it's kind of like a supernatural thing of like, he would just keep going. Like, he's right behind her. And the guy's like, oh, it's gone. It's like, well, how did that happen? Like some magical ghost or something. Um, and then this bit was was fucking weird. What did you think when you got when you saw this bit? Oh, so horrible. In a way, it's more horrible than some of the other, you know, more grotesque scenes. Just because your hopes are completely dashed. Mm. You Slowly. do assume that she's found some sanctuary. Yeah. Even though this guy's kind of like weird and everything, but we've we you know we've seen him earlier in the film. Yeah. And he, he was the one that like tried a, to say, "Don't go anywhere, just keep going or whatever." Exactly. So you, you think, okay. Um, and he initially is quite comforting to her, mm. and then quite quite soon you start to see all these telltale little quirks and signs in his behaviour, mm. and uh, and he gets that fuck it was it gets a. A sack out, oh man! He just kind of walks in with it, and at first you're like, as the audience, you're like, "What's that?" And then suddenly you cotton onto it as fast as she does. But that whole bit, it's like having that moment of calm. But there's also like they never leave you. It's always on edge because the door's wide open. Yeah, she's just there, and there's like within like ten feet or whatever. There's just this open door, so you're still expecting something to like come running through, come through, or something like that. Um, Yeah. It's that like, assumption, there's no that phone little bit of respite, yeah. though. That little yeah. assumption that, you know, you've got people around, it's going to be okay. And then when it's not okay, it just heightens its, like, tenfold back yeah. up again. This guy yeah. with his sack. And then he's just, like, slapping her with a broom like she's a just like a an animal. Yeah, just poking her. He's getting, like, some... Well, you find out, like, he's a bit of a sadist basically, because of the way he treats the others. And that's what's weird. It's like for the next like 10, 15 minutes, you're in a family drama now. <laughs> <laughs> like the most dysfunctional family ever. But yeah, he's kind of getting some like pleasure out of like being nasty to her. And his face. Um, yeah, he's all like weird you know, now. When he's when he's hitting her with the broom, there's something so repulsive about that. Like the, 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 the joy and pleasure. And the way, I mean, he's got a great face, this guy. Yeah. 
it's so so unpleasant something really Mm -hmm. revolting even though initially he's been the sort of like face of civility almost Mm -hmm. um suddenly you suddenly see it twisted you know yeah i mean he looks like he should be like an authority of some sort that's what it kind of is i also love the fact that he goes there's that whole bit where he goes back to shut the door and turn the light off yeah. and goes about like the cost of electricity. And again, it's like they're, they're piss poor. Um, I think they kind of go into this a bit in Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, which I know is kind of jumping, but um, in that they make their money off of human meat basically. Um, and they, they don't really talk about it here at all. It's more just like it's above human meat and it's not, it's just a weird thing. And they just, yeah. and they're just poor, whatever, um, because they've been proud of business at the, killing the cows or whatever but um and he shoves her but, in the van mm. and he's like saying oh you know it's okay it's gonna be okay and all, which is obviously really creepy and she is mm. absolutely screaming here yeah it's really um it's really distressing yeah it is really distressing. she's a great screamer <laughs> um and then you see the uh hippie guy then you see the hitchhiker again and they're like arguing he's like i told you none of your brother alone and you almost got oh, caught in the, the cemetery house. yeah and it's like oh, okay so yeah. it's confirmed that he was the one that did all the stuff at the cemetery now so they've confirmed that for you because at first you were like oh is he is it I'm not really sure um but then he goes in and yeah leatherface is what i love right by the way is that leatherface is now dressed in makeup or whatever and taking this motherly role which is fucking weird in itself and it's great and i love yeah. the fact it's like this guy's fucked up, like in so many ways. But and then it's not really I, um, spoken about. It's just something there for you to detect and infer from, isn't it? Yeah, true. Exactly. It's not. It's not even a thing that they deal with. Um, but also, uh, and he's making like all these horrible pig noises and stuff. Um, but also, I was thinking realistically that meant that when he chased her into the thing, he would have had to turn around, run back to the house. Um, get dressed, put dinner on, or in the time it took for everything that we saw. And that guy had a car as well. <laughs> so I don't know how that happened, but um, yeah, let's just not worry. Let's not dwell on that for too long. Um, this is where they, yeah, so they're setting the table for dinner, right? And yeah. they're strapping her in the chair. And it's so yeah. disgusting because then you see Franklin's arms and it's his wheelchair. Is that right? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think it is, yeah. I so that again, it's absolutely nauseating. This is weird. I don't know if you noticed this, but a lot of that seems to be filmed like from above. Yeah. What's what's all that about? Yeah, they um I had the impression it's also like some of it a bit later on looks as if it's filmed from another room. So um I think it's more of a like voyeur kind of mm. thing. Um more than anything as in a bit more like it's tried to be a bit more fly on the wall but yeah i don't know i think it's just a stylistic stylistic choice it's um, quite it made me feel a bit queasy which is a good thing right and that this whole scene is just now in this dining scene mm. it's just so it's, it becomes sort of like surreal in its yeah. like extreme in how extremely vile it is it's pure um, nightmare like this is her mind breaks basically yeah during this whole scene. I was also thinking, is it like looking down just as we were talking? Um, because the whole idea is that this is basically like hell. So you're like looking down as in, yeah, this is like the pits. <laughs> like, yeah. This is where pure <laughs> depravity and horrible shit. This is what the like, 
down there, basically, in more than one sense. Um, um, apparently, mm. this was the guy that plays the, the that cook character. Mm. This was his last day of uh, shooting on the film. So they were like, well, we've got to just get everything. So oh, yeah. apparently, this was like a 30-hour uh, day. Right. And apparently, they filmed this in the day. So they just had all the curtains shut. And basically, all the cast was saying... Like it was the hot, it, you know, it was really, it was genuinely really, really hot. They've got all of those like animal bones and stuff around. Mm. Um, and there's a thing on the table, it's like made out of dead chicken. Mm. And they said also, this was like towards the end of shooting, and they'd all been wearing the same clothes, like they hadn't changed or cleaned the, the clothes. Mm. So, like basically, you know, all that like that grit and grime and and this, everything it was, it was like really real they said it absolutely stank and they were like the guy that was played Leatherface like he's a big guy they were like he absolutely stank yeah okay. the whole thing was just like the most revolting smell yeah imagine and you can see I, it all on the screen it's great yeah it is good I thought it was that the guy who plays the granddad didn't want to get back into his makeup again so he wanted it all done at once I really it took like hours to get into the makeup, and he was like, "I'm not putting this back on." I could be getting it done now because he was quite young. That guy, I think. Yeah, I had that. I don't know what he looks like, but um, but but yeah, that whole this whole sequence is like the climax, basically, because like she's just going insane. Like there's close-ups of her eyes going crazy, like a wild animal that's trapped. She's screaming. All that stuff is just like really fucking horrible. Um, you've got, you see a bit of like the interaction between them as a family and that yeah. normality almost makes it even weirder because in, it's, and he's like, we do all the work or whatever. And you just, well, I don't like killing and whatever and all this stuff. And she's trying to plead with him. And she's like, you know, I'll do anything. Like literally offering herself up just to get out of it and all this. And it's just working on so many different levels. Yeah. And then, yeah, when they bring the granddad down, um, well, that's what happens first actually, isn't it? Cause they bring the granddad down. He sucks on the finger and apparently, like, when they did it, they were trying to do it and the blood wouldn't pump out properly. And so the Leatherface guy, kind of Hanson, cut a finger for real. Oh. He just got sick of doing it. He didn't want to get the shot done, so he actually cut a finger. Um, and that's the shot that he What a fucking dick. Um, um, yeah, he's, like, sucking on the blood. Again, which is kind of like a vampire-style, uh, vampire like, supernatural, like, you know, part of it. Again, it's kind of, like, playing into that whole, like, monster weirdness um sacrificial blood power thing um this is one bit where um i think it's a little bit weak because um I mean, it's just so again it's so shocking that moment when you realize it's not a dead body and that he's alive mm-hmm. i mean it is great because it's just so like s- s- surreal that's where it really tips into like this is becoming totally surreal nightmare stuff yeah but it is a little you know if up until now you've accepted that all of this could be real these are real people and real characters it is a little bit absurd because the makeup is so i mean they could have maybe made the makeup a bit more uh realistic but i mean it's quite clear that this is like an uh, ancient cadaver mm. and then suddenly he's like a finger and he's like he's alive mm. well again it's that um yeah, like I remember when I was watching it from way back when, um, 
as well, it was yeah, always the bit that kind of struck me as like, oh, fuck, like, that's really weird. But then I think it's almost like, again, it's like the elder, right? It's that like tribal respect for the elder thing. Um, and also the idea that people would um, eat each other to live longer um, and all this stuff. I think it might play into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it is a bit weird how it just only comes alive and it is a bit surreal. But by this point, we're like, yeah, totally into like a fucking weird nightmare stuff. And the whole sequence, like this montage of like weird, surreal sequences in between the bits of dialogue. Yeah. Um, Good close-ups <laughs> on her eyes. Yeah, really great close-ups. You can see um, the tears coming out. It's nasty, like really horrible stuff. Like it's frenzied, pure frenzy. Yeah. Um, and there's one bit where like Leatherface keeps going in like getting really close to it and all that. It's like really horrible, but like, <laughs> it's where he does it. And the um, older brother is like, oh, like what's Leatherface <laughs> going to do now? <laughs> kind of They're totally like, mocking her, aren't they? And yeah. you realise that there's no humanity in her. Yeah, and remorse, of course, or anything. And Even also that, I don't like the killing. It's like, oh, fuck off. But also that it's just another, they're quite blasé about it and it's just another, another mm. day for them and, you really start to think there's there's no and there's no appealing to them. There's no way out of this. Yeah, because they don't see the severity of the situation at all. Mm. That's what's really kind of yeah. I think that's what what really like makes you scared. Mm. Yeah, there's literally like no hope. Um, yeah, and that's the thing where it's like that's when it suddenly turns where he's like, oh, let's just get on with it, and then you're like, oh fuck, like they're that's not right. like I'm, I'm gonna die, and then the only way. The only thing that saves her is because the guy's like, let's let Grandpa kill her. Um, which is how she's able to get away. Like, Grandpa's the best killer ever was. And that... He did 15 one, what's that? He did 60 in five minutes. Yeah, something like that. And He's a champion like, whacker. Yeah. Um, you call him whacker? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and the way they've put the head over the bucket, again, like, she's an animal. It's like having oh, yeah. a bleed out and they're trying to get him to, like, bash her head. Um, they go, get her, Grandpa. Get her, get her, Grandpa whatever that whole sequence is like fucking horrible and it takes ages and he hits her once and you're like ah like you hardly see it but you're just like oh god like so you're uh, thinking oh maybe she'll get away but when they hit her you're like thinking oh my god like maybe she, this is it like maybe it's gonna she's be not a, gonna get away yeah it's gonna be a really slow now um slow drawn yeah. out brutal death yeah, what really i like slow, horrible death yeah for me i had a moment when i was watching this and um my own personal take one of the reasons i like this film um, is I kind of read it as a little bit of a parable around man's inhumanity to animals. Mm. Um, Definitely kicking, like a pro-vegetarian like message, like an anti-meat meat is murder, basically. Message yeah, behind it. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Toby Hooper's like a <laughs> hardcore vegetarian or anything. I don't think mm. that was really part of what he was doing. But I, I kind of see it. You know, you got that. Like you said, that scene at the beginning where you actually see what I think is slaughterhouse footage. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, they go. And then there's all this stuff about, basically, they, the teenagers are the animals. And you, the audience, get to see what these animals that are talked about throughout the whole film go through when they go through the slaughterhouse and the abattoir. And they're basically mm. put through and all of that. And they're shown... That you know, Leatherface and the other characters show those teenagers the same amount of uh, respect that the 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 cows are shown, which is none, and they're just treated mm. as animals, and they're just uh, 
you know, Leatherface doesn't show any malice, but it's just like just blam them, bam them to death with a hammer. And um, but obviously, you're put in the position of actually seeing all the fear that they go through, and that's really right there at the end. Is like this is it. This is what the animal goes through right at the end when it's got his head over a bucket and it's bashing away at it. Like he. Yeah. And it's a callback to what he explains the, the hitchhiker, isn't it, in the van at the beginning about like, you know, it was, it was better better with the sledgy. Mm. It's also like the idea, like people put their like if they go hunting, they put like the heads on show as like trophies, and that's essentially what they're doing. They've got these like little little trophies, and like the fact that he's called Leatherface, leather obviously being made from the skin of animals um, that people use to show off there's an element i think of that there so it definitely can be seen like that i don't think it was probably intended for it but no, i think no. it's um yeah it, just, it, can, it would definitely put you off mate <laughs> it shows you people being reduced to um the animals that are the kind of you know the framework this idea of all the, the slaughterhouse mm. yeah definitely um but yeah we're coming come to the end now so she's able to to get away the hippies just basically like i'll do it and then you're like okay fuck here we go but she's able to break free she jumps out the window and it's all like nice and light outside so there's a bit of hope and then this end bit is just like again like the whole thing is just amazing and this end bit is just mad because she's like running away but the hippie's slicing her with the knife and getting her as well like slicing yeah. her back she's covered in blood trying to get away Leatherface comes out um with his, with his, his makeup on and he's got his chainsaw now and his suit where he's dressed up for dinner because they must have had dinner at like 6am or something um and yeah and yeah the hippie gets squished by the truck which is great and this poor guy this poor big black guy comes out <laughs> so what the fuck is going on and suddenly there's this guy with the <laughs> he's just like he doesn't even say anything but he's just oh. trying to like help her and he like and he just like bear in mind he just runs off i love that bit like, leatherface he doesn't get back in the truck leatherface is still there so whatever happened to that guy that's He's just me. making it across this motorway. That is the sequel. Still to this day. That is the sequel. I don't, you know. <laughs> sequel that should have been. It's where, who is he? Sequel. Where does he go? What happens to him next? Yeah. I love him. Mad. It's such a, like, but it's such a cool, weird thing to do because it's like, it feels like a bit real. Like that's what would really happen. I don't yeah. know, like in a really weird way. Um, and yeah, I love the fact that, uh, yeah, he gets it. Uh, Leatherface gets his like leg cut off, cut a little bit, or whatever, makes him go a bit slower. So they go, um, yeah, she is able to jump in the back of this pickup truck. And then this final scene's great for many reasons, because one, she's like covered in blood, she's screaming, but she's also kind of laughing. So you, basically it's like she's mentally torn apart, like she's just gone absolutely mad. Like the whole thing yeah. has just totally fucked her head up completely. And at the same time, there's that element where he's kind of doing the same thing where he's like throwing his chainsaw around in this violent manner, but also making it on the other hand, like slightly like this beautiful pirouette kind of like dance. Um, yeah. And there's this kind of weird duplicity, uh, not duplicity, but this weird um, imminent parallel basically between the two things that are kind of happening, these two like extremes of emotion that they're both, playing with but also like this dance it's like it's like is it like a celebration dance is it a, a kind of what's going through but it so it just ends on this weird like moment of wonder and then that's it it's just the end that's it just as quick as that it's the end of the film i'm glad to um, hear you say that because um i remember again when we first saw it 
And we're going, why is he dancing at the end? And you're like, he's not dancing, he's really angry. <laughs> <laughs> Did I? And so I was watching, I was like, he definitely does two pirouettes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, he, he is like, obviously, there's it's both, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also yeah. the fact that it's... It's a beautiful shot. It's beautiful light. It's the morning light and all this stuff. It's just, it's just great. Um, Apparently, it's um, again. I was watching this documentary, and Toby Hooper was saying that like, I really wanted it to be that that sun that sunrise moment, hmm. and I like, have the flare of the sun in the camera and all this, and that color. It was like, unless you're willing to sit up all night with the whole crew, then, um, you know, then you know, we, we can do that. So basically they said they waited um, till there was like the right cloud cover and then they'd rush out and quickly try and film that, that ending sequence. Oh, really? He said he really wanted that image of, of Leatherface though, like against that, um, against the skyline. Right. And it is great. And, that, and that's probably become like one of the most iconic shots, right? Because that got used mm-hmm. then on all the, when you think about like video covers and posters and things, it's often using that, that shot of him. Yeah, it's just visually weird in a sense that it's beautiful, it's intoxicating. You, it's void of emotion in any other way in the sense that he's wearing a mask. Um, and yeah, it's just it's horrific and beautiful at the same time. And I think that's what kind of pulls people in. Um, it fills them with wonder almost. But the fact that she's like screaming and getting away. Um, and all that, but she's like totally fucked. And yeah, it's great. But that last half hour, wherever it is, fuck me. It's just pure, it's like a pure nightmare sprint <laughs> just through to the end. And it, and I'm glad it just ends as well. Yeah, like, yeah. you made it, like it's done. Um, yeah. That's where it would end because then it's like the le- rest is just left to your imagination completely. Um, yeah, God, that's really good. Should we take a break, Dan? And then we'll come back with a few little... I've got a few like little tidbits of info and I'm sure you have as well. Um, yep. Cool. Let's do it. Let's take a break. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Right, welcome back, welcome back. Um, so, yeah, a few little um, bits and pieces of this, Dan. You probably know a lot about this anyway, but um, it got made for $140,000 at the time, which is tiny, and it made over $30 million at the domestic wow. box office. So it's one of the most profitable films, I believe, of all time, um, yeah. which is great. What I love about this as well is that they tried to get it as a PG. <laughs> <laughs> but it got an R. And that's what's one of the cool things is that there's not actually that much gore in it. Um, a no, lot of it's like true. left in your head. Um, but it got banned in several countries, um, of course. And yeah, one of the inspiration things. So um, one of the guys who co-wrote it is a guy called Kim Henkel. A guy or a girl? I presume it was a guy. If I don't know, I've just got that. Okay, here we go. Um, he said this, and I'll just read it out uh, verbatim. I definitely, oh, it's about Edgine. So I definitely studied Gine, but I also noticed a murder case in Houston at the time, a serial murder you probably remember called Elmer Wayne Henley, who's a young man who recruited victims for an older homosexual man. I saw some news reports where Elmer Wayne said, I did these crimes, I'm going to stand up and take it like a man. Well, that struck me as interesting, that he had this conventional morality at that point. He wanted it known that now that he was caught, he would do the right thing. So this kind of moral schizophrenia is something I tried to build into the characters. I think he's talking about the older um, the older guy, mm-hmm. uh, there, the older brother. Um, there was also uh, one, I'm trying to find my actual bit, um, uh about yeah this is it so Hooper also based this um about this idea of uh apparently it was going to be about trolls under a bridge or whatever this film and then he changed it to a character who eventually became Leatherface um but the idea actually came from a doctor I knew I remembered that he'd once told me the story about how when he was a pre-med student the class was studying cadavers and he went into the morgue and skinned a cadaver and made a mask for Halloween we decided Leatherface would have a different human skin mask to fit each of his moods. Um, but I, that is weird in itself, isn't it? Yeah. The fact that these doctors carved up. <laughs> just that they've... Awful. That, yeah, it's so fucking weird. No, um, yeah, no controls back then, ethics. Yeah, at all. Um, one of the other things, um, I won't go into it too much, is just how it got made. Like um, Just the financing, because apparently like at one point... The mafia got involved. Um, but, uh, yeah, they were basically, they went over budget. They were trying to get him more money um, in post. They were selling rights left, right, and center. There was a whole court case um, trying to get some of the money back. The actors basically kind of diddled out of their money um, because they were promised a certain percentage. And then that got halved. And then they were waiting for ages to get anything Um and apparently all that was just a nightmare. And there's a bit of a court case, I believe, about it, which um, uh, which when they got, um, the filmmakers got like 500K or something back um, at the time. This was in but, the, uh, this documentary that I watched. Oh, really? Go on. You probably know more about that. Yeah, it's really interesting. They, they were running out of money at the end of the shoot. So instead of paying the actors, they offered them options. And I think the only actor... And not just the actors, actually, some of the crew. But that guy who played Franklin, mm. he said the last bit of filming they did was actually the scene where he gets um, rolled down the hill. Right. 
And basically, he went to them on that day and he just said, if I don't get my money, you can get someone else to sit in the chair and go down. So they actually, he said he got his money in full. And he said the reason, <laughs> he said, you can see it on my face, which is a bit fanciful. But he was like, when I went down that hill, I had a check in my front pocket <laughs> for my full <laughs> full pay. <laughs> but um, everyone else got these options. But what they didn't realise was that I think they thought they were getting a percentage of the like profits from the film. Mm. But actually they were getting a percentage of the profits made by one of the production companies mm. that was set up. And I think I think they set up two production companies and then maybe a third one entered the fray. Yeah. Because then they said, yeah, they didn't have enough money to finish the film in, in post-production. And that's when um, this uh, other company, oh, I can't remember what they were called, Bryanston or something like this? Yeah, so uh, that's the mafia one. Right. So they were like, yeah, when when they um went in like years later trying to like audit the books, they said it was literally like just some guy with these heavies around him. And they're like, we need to look at your books. And he's like, You ain't looking at my books. <laughs> and they were like, Well, so yeah, that's when then there was a court case and they sued them and and at that point they said, Oh, we've gone bankrupt. Right. So the fact that you said like it made all these millions of dollars, everyone's like, and then so none of the the cast and crew they got like hardly anything. And that guy that plays Leatherface, Gunnar Hansen, throughout this documentary, he's talking. It's like they've edited it to make him sound like an absolute sap. So he's constantly like, <laughs> yeah. And then I got like a check for forty two dollars or something. And um, and every subsequent um, sequel, he keeps talking about his negotiations, trying to be cast as Leatherface. And how they right. never wanted to pay him. <laughs> you know. Uh, he's, always, he's always like going, that's just union pay. Go back and like think about how much you value what I can bring to this film. And he'd be like, then they came back and like offered me lower. <laughs> <laughs> that's so. Uh, yeah. Just a guy in a mask. I kind of like, you know, it's <laughs> difficult, isn't it? I heard that he like to prepare for his role. Yeah, he went to like a special needs school and watched how the students moved and he went to like a pig farm or whatever and all oh. this stuff just to get in the mind frame or whatever um yeah, mad. apparently they cast someone else originally and on the first day of filming they were like yeah he's just drunk in his motel room <laughs> we desperately need anyone else <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy poor gunner hansen oh, it's awful um yeah uh, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a story um behind it it's a bit weird and the fact that, yeah, like I'm just kind of going through some of the stuff that you mentioned about the fact that um, it was so hot, like a lot of the windows were closed, really long days, a really grueling uh, shoot. Um, and yeah, and I think, yeah, there's a quote here from Ed Neal, he played the hitchhiker, talking about money. He said, three months, no check, six months, no check, nine months, a check for $28.45. We were angry. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about the, the millions that it made. Yeah. Filmmaking, yeah. yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Um, um can we Dan, talk about other... a bit more? Oh, Dan, it's like you read my read my <laughs> many mind. We're now we're going to head into Nerd Corner and talk a little bit about Ed Gein. Is it Gein? Is it Gein or Gein? Oh, good point. I don't know. Okay. Um, I said Gein. I've always said Gein. Okay. Maybe it's Gein. I don't know. Um, but 
yeah, for Nerd Corner, for those that didn't know, this story is very loosely based on the story of Ed Gein. Maybe it's Gein, I'm not sure, but I'm going to just call it Ed Gein. So Dan, how much do you know about Ed Gein? A bit. Mm. A bit. A bit. A bit too much, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, a bit is too much, really. Yeah. Well, I kind of went through, I just basically went through Wikipedia, I'm going to be honest. I didn't read any biographies on him or anything like that, but there were some interesting little tidbits I thought I would just kind of pull out for you. Um, So basically, he, in the end, he confessed to killing two women, a tavern owner called Mary Hogan in 54, and a Plainfield hardware store owner, Bernice Warden, in 57. Um, he was initially found to be unfit to stand trial. Uh, was put in a mental health facility, and then in '68 he was judged to be legally sane and was found guilty um, of the one of the murders, I think, and then was uh, in a psychiatric institution where he died. Um, so he was a bit. Um, it's a bit of a strange one because he was one of those people where it's like oh, he was such a lovely boy, but he was basically obsessed with his mum. Mm-hmm. Their dad was a bit of a dick or whatever, but his mum was also a bit of a dick, quite a controlling mother by the sounds of it. Um, and it was him and his brother, Henry. And apparently, I don't know why I'm laughing, it's horrible, but apparently they were like, him and his brother were burning some um, vegetation or whatever on, on their property and the fire got out of control. And he was like, oh, my brother, my brother's missing. And then when they looked for him, they found a dead body lying face down and he'd been dead for ages. And it, he, he died of like heart failure. And I think later on they said it might have been asphyxiation or whatever, but there's bruises on his head and all this stuff. And they were like, yeah, this has nothing to do with the fire. <laughs> um, he's just like dead. Um, and it's never been, you know, proven or whatever that um, Ed did it. Ed kind of did it. But um, it's kind of insinuated that there was a bit of a Cain and Abel thing, uh, mm-hmm. which you can imagine. So after that, it was just him and his mum. And it was them for a while. And then... Um, Basically, in '57, uh, this woman uh, who worked at this hardware store um, went missing, and uh, they found that um, it looked like uh, Ed Gein was the last person to buy something there. Um, and that's kind of when they started searching, um, searching the farm. I believe is what is what happened, uh, and they found um, a decapitated body of one of the women in a shed hung upside down with her legs, uh, by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists, um, dressed out like a deer, apparently, if you can imagine that. She'd been shot by a rifle and all those things were done after after she'd actually died. Then as they searched the house, they found more and more weird stuff. So here's a list of what they found, Dan. You ready? The inventory. <laughs> the inventory, yes, indeed. Whole human bones and fragments, a waste basket made of human skin, Human skin covering several chair seats, skulls on his bedposts, female skulls, some with the top sawn off, bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from a female torso skinned from shoulders to waist, leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from the skin of female heads, Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag, Mary Hogan's skull in a box, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gain's pot-bellied stove. Nine vulva in a shoebox. A young Jesus. girl's dress. A young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. A belt made from human female nipples. Four noses. 
A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, fingernails from female fingers. Um, Are you willing to gamble it all for tonight's star prize? Yeah, this is the generation game. It's all just running past on a a belt or whatever. Um, But yeah, apparently he'd been stealing from graveyards, um, mainly from women who were middle-aged and resembled his mother, which you can imagine. And he had started putting together basically a woman suit so he could become his mother. Um, and yeah, using the human skin as masks and stuff like that. So from this, you obviously had films like Psycho, um, which was based on this, yeah. amongst other bits and pieces. Um, yeah. But yeah, you can see Texas Chainsaw in there, and it is one of the most weirdest, horrific, um, strangest things in history. Um, and yeah, that's what kind of put him on, on the map. So, yeah, it's a bit of a... <laughs> that's what put him on the map. <laughs> put him on the map. I didn't really say that. I made him famous, but it's like... <laughs> a bit of a weird way of saying it. Um, uh, so it's really grotesque and really weird and disgusting and horrible. Um, but fascinating. But fascinating at the same time, like the depth of people, depravity. People want to keep making films about him, make, writing books about him and analysing it and trying to understand yeah. it. I mean, there's always one thing, this is going. This is kind of going off on the tangent a little bit, there's always one thing which I always find weird about this stuff is that you always hear, you always hear about these things um, like years or whatever after they've happened and it makes you think, what's out there now that's like not been reported yet? Or what's happening out there right now that w- might never get reported, might never get yeah. found? Yeah. Um, this is just because he got sloppy basically he's i don't think he was particularly intelligent i don't think um well to a degree who knows but the fact that he was able to get found was because he was the there was a receipt basically i believe with his name on he was the last person to see him alive so it's quite easy police work um mad isn't it dan it's mad it's mad um there's another film that i've seen um, about him, which interestingly mm. enough came out the same year as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974, right. uh, called Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile. Um, I had it on DVD actually. I watched it once and I thought, I'm not going to watch that again. I, I uh, took it to the charity shop. Mm. Yeah. Well, apparently, Ed Gein, apparently, Ed Guy never had sex with the bodies. Um, ah, yeah. I think I mean, ne- yeah. he said they necrophile, stank. <laughs> necrophile in the more um, the more literal sense, in that someone who is obsessed with death, a fan of death, confessions of a necrophile. Um, um, what am I thinking of then? Well, it's used more. Well, it's yes, yeah, it's used more popularly to mean mean that doing that okay, to right, a dead okay. body, but it can also right, just right. mean. Uh, yeah, Student of Death, but um, yeah, it's like Canadian film, and it's more mislabeled. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor people. It's a drier film. Um, it's almost got like a feel of documentary about it, but it's also got like more satire in there, which is quite interesting. Sort of mm-hmm. satirizes the press a bit and like the reporting of these deaths. But it does show, you know, if you're interested in similar films, well, similar subject matter. It's a very different type of film, but mm. um, it's quite quite an interesting watch and it ends culminates and ends with that scene of them um 
raiding the house and finding the um, the body upside down, cut up like a deer. Yeah. Um, but all throughout, like no one wants to believe. Everyone can see that this guy is weird and doing weird things, but they don't want to believe it. Of like good old Ed, who's just this like kind of like sad character, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I thought it was quite interesting because again, like in this documentary I was watching, they were kind of making like a, a case that this is like a tr- big trailblazing film, which it is. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, but there were other films, you know, around the same time, handling similar subject matter. Mm. Yeah, well, it's definitely an infamous case. I would go and think anyway, but um, it's definitely Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Took a new spin on it. So, Dan, um, fi- final uh, reviews. Oh, can I've I've got a bit more. Um, oh yeah, go on. I've got some no corner. Mm. Because I've been well. First of all, I thought. Let's have a look at some of the soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Has it been released on vinyl, etc.? This music, so it's Toby, Toby Hooper with a chap called Wayne Bell. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Toby Hooper also went and made the music, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's never been officially released, the soundtrack. Okay. I can't believe it. Especially at the moment, there's record labels like Waxwork and Mondo that specialise in putting out really nice, you know, like vinyl editions of classic cult films, sci-fi and horror. And it's never, ever, ever, well, not once, been an official release of this soundtrack. Weird. I can't believe it. So it's another record for us to add to our potential record label, <laughs> which is going to yeah. put out, what are we doing? We're doing some Mort Garson. Um, oh, I can't Garson. remember. Oh, and King some um, King Gizzard. So and we can add the first official release of the music from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You just um, have to get those rights. Yeah. <laughs> so after I'd given up on that, um, I was just looking on YouTube and there's a guy on here. If you're interested in nerdy stuff, his username is Disc Junkie TV. Right. And he runs a website called TCMDB. Right. So it's like IMDB, but it's TCMDB. So it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Texas database. Right. And he's got, nice. there's this amazing video. All his videos are great looking at um, his copies of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but he's got a massive collection of all the original um, VHS releases from all mm. around the world. Mm. And I watched a couple of his videos just looking at some of his uh, UK VHS copies. So it's quite interesting because they're mm. pre-cert. Mm-hmm. So, Pre-certification. Yeah, so like anyone listening who's um, you know, not in the UK, at some point the you know is it uh, BBFC, British yep. Board of Film Certification? Yeah, they um, you know anything showing in the cinema would be submitted to them for cuts and for certification. But when videos first came onto the market, they weren't uh, same demands weren't placed on them. So all this stuff came out, you know, had previously been on the cinema, um, was then able to be shown on video, completely uncut and uncensored. Although Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think, was outright banned anyway. It didn't get a cinematic release yeah, um, at all. Because apparently they just saw the whole thing and there weren't any individual scenes or things to cut. They just said, like, the whole thing is so abhorrent to us. <laughs> it just has to be, has to go, it has to be banned. Um, 
So these like pre-cert videos are cool because they've never been certified and they just look, to me, they just look so like, they look taboo, you know, something dangerous about them. But he's got the first ever UK VHS and it's cool, right? Because it comes in this weird square box. Right. So I've never seen a video in a square box and it's because this company, it must have been at the time where they were moving from people buying things on Cine Reel right. and VHS is just taking off. So the box actually has space that you could put a, a reel in it or or a, um, a video cassette. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. this really cool old thing. Like the packaging's so basic. It looks like an old bootleg or something. But, um, and it's got that image of um, Leatherface at the end of the film mm-hmm. you know, on the front and just in black and okay. white and red. Yeah, that's cool, um, and it's so cool. But yeah, I mean, if if you're interested in that kind of thing, um, I go and check it out. The TCMDB and this guy's video nice. is great. Brilliant. I remember as you were saying that I had a actual poster, I believe, in Texas Chainsaw, um, like an old movie poster. I might have had a uni. Can't remember. Um, yeah, which sounds similar that box art I was just thinking about it um, but that's good that's a good little find actually it's really great I love that kind of nerdy stuff so. yeah I was, I was enjoying it you, any um, other little tidbits well I just wondered what you thought of Toby Hooper like um, hmm. you know well, if you like this you kind of to me yeah. there's nothing else there in his like um, in his work that, that reaches this kind of height no but we watched do you remember we watched a film ages ago that he did immediately after this and it was about someone who ran a hotel or whatever? Eaten Alive. Was that it? Did we watch that together? We did, didn't we? Yeah. It was like you, me and uh, my now wife. Um, it was, yeah. That and was I the remember, film we made immediately afterwards. Yeah, and I remember it was really like awful, but it looked like really cheap, but not like cheap and they got away with it looking good. It was like, this looks dire. It looked lower budget than this. There's loads of like weird, colourful lights. I remember, remember that. It's lit really strangely. Um, but he didn't really do, like, he, obviously, his big one, I believe, is Poltergeist. Oh, yeah. Which um, uh, caused a lot of, um, uh, well, there was a bit of, it basically, so there's a, there's a rule where the director always has to take prominence over the producer or whatever. And that came from Poltergeist because basically what happened was Steven Spielberg produced it and his name was everywhere and his name was basically bigger on the credits than Toby Hooper's. And Toby yeah. Hooper was like, it's my film. Like, it's not on. And there was a bit of a thing about it and it became a rule that stuck forever, um, I believe. That's where it came from. Um, but it was much... Go Toby. Yeah. Stick it the to reason, the man. Yeah. But the reason why um, Spielberg didn't, uh, couldn't direct... Um, Poltergeist was because he was making E.T. at the same time. But what would happen is apparently when they were taking downtime or whatever from E.T., he'd go over to Poltergeist. And depending on who you talk to, people were like, yeah, basically as soon as Steven Spielberg turned up, he just took over. And it was just a case of listening to him until he left again. Um, so a lot of people were like, yeah, Toby Hooper didn't really direct it. Like, mm. Steven Spielberg, it's a Steven Spielberg film. It's not a Toby Hooper film. Um but saying that, I don't mind pointing to podcast. I actually quite like it. I um, like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's very 
it's dated quite badly now, but I still enjoy it. I like but, how it's um, dated. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's from that nostalgic era for me. Even though I didn't True. see it at the time, I look at it and it's like, wow, this is so mid-80s. Mm. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of like the biggest, apart from obviously Texas Chainsaw, that was his biggest actual commercial kind of hit. Um, and it, he didn't really do that much after that. I mean... He did another film around the same time. I think off the top of my head, like maybe 1986, did a remake of Invaders from Mars. So mm-hmm. I really love the original old like i think it's late 50s early 60s black and white film sci-fi and he did this like big budget um version of it and it's it's i mean it's nothing like the original it's kind of good fun it's it's weird it's actually more like it's like a teenager's film Uh, not like a teenager like um even younger like for for 12 13 year olds right there's all these crazy like when they get on the spaceship these crazy aliens and martians and monsters and things it's quite good fun right yeah i haven't seen that i mean he did a lot of, i'm looking at his imdb but he did a lot of like tv stuff basically for ages um he did texas chainsaw massacre 2 which is oh, yeah. weird uh-huh. in another level like it's where the first one was like more gritty real frenzied horror this one has more of a slapstick kind of comedy vibe to it. It's also got a character in it called LG, which is what my friends call me for my surname. Um, and it's the only time I've ever heard a character called LG on yeah, <laughs> ever. Um, but yeah, basically, he's a test of to Invaders from Mars, as you said. He did Life Force, actually, which I... Oh, yeah. Um, That's weird. Oh, I think I saw this years ago, but I definitely have not seen it lately. I um, saw it last year. Oh, did you? Right, it's, so he did that. It's weird. It's it's quite flawed, but it's basically about alien vampires. Right, okay. Um, and yeah, he did Poltergeist. He did the Salem's Lot TV miniseries in 79. Death Trap, um, which is what is, we were talking about. Um, oh, Eaten Alive. It was also called Eaten Alive. Yeah. Um, and it is awful. And yeah, it was done right after. It's got Marilyn Burns in again, actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, she plays one of the girls, isn't it? Robert England is in it as well, I believe. Um, England. He plays like a young hooligan, doesn't he? Or something like that. Oh, I can't um, remember. He, he's, he goes on to play Freddy Krueger, by the way. Um, the original Freddy Krueger. Um, so, yeah, should we go into our final impressions, Dan? Yes. Um, okay. What what are what are yours? I believe it's my turn to do a voice, isn't it? I think so. So you can do you. My impression is that. What is my final impression? I just think it's really, um, like unflinching horror mm. film. Um, you know, and it's it's well made throughout. It's well plotted, well written. I think like what you said there about there kind of being three acts is really. Uh, on the nose um, you know and each act has a different kind of uh, pace and rhythm to it yeah um, that that really helped you know makes it makes it work um, it just feels very authentic and true to itself and it's bloody horrible and bloody scary yeah um, it just really you know it really works at you on an emotional level um, and like I said when I saw it first time 
really kind of like stayed with me under my skin for a while. Um, it's easily one of the most important, probably best horror films ever made. So really it's something everyone should see. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So Dan, I, what should I, uh, what should I do as a voice? Um, maybe you should do. No, that's too hard. I was going to say a chainsaw. <laughs> Why do I do that? <laughs> 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 um, I'm going to say, how about in the voice of Steven Spielberg, as if he produced this film? Oh, fuck it out. <laughs> hi, hi, I'm Steven Spielberg. Um, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, whilst flat out on my bed with 10 hookers. Um, and it got me uh, really hard. And as I was, um, as I was looking up, I, I heard the noise of a pig and I thought, who put the, who brought the pig in? You know, I'm Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and I got up and I shouted, I'm Steven Spielberg. And then I said, no pigs. And I looked and there was Leatherface on the screen. I thought, wow, this is this guy. Who is this guy? And, uh, I told all the hookers to get out and take, <laughs> take all their, their drugs, their drugs with them. And then, um, I made a list of directors I called it Spielberg's list. Um, and it gave me an idea for another film, which came later on, but this list had, uh, um, some directors I needed for, for Poltergeist. And on the top, I, I crossed out, I, I crossed out, uh, Marty Scorsese, um, <laughs> and I put Toby Hooper and I was like, I want him to make Poltergeist because Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the best films to have an orgy to. And I'm, and I'm <laughs> Steven Spielberg and I should know. <laughs> um, that's my final um, impression. Thanks Steven. <laughs> really interesting to hear uh, your insights. Um, see my insights <laughs> sure <laughs> uh, so are we going to look at any reviews I hate it so I've got a few reviews here for you Dan uh, as you can imagine there were a couple there were a couple of good ones there were a couple of good ones let's start off though with um, one star review here from Jay Kilby uh, and the subject is horror fan says, and it says, I'm a fan of horror of both old and new, but somehow I'd never seen this cult movie. Well, now I have and what a colossal waste of effort it was. I sat through desperately inept acting, unimaginative cinematography, grating score that failed to summon any atmosphere and a whole lot of screaming overall, a laughable piece of cinema history. <laughs> As the final credits unexpectedly rolled, I was unaffected and pleased to see the back of it. I'm trying to remember that this was released in the early 70s and that at the time it probably was a radical change of direction for the horror genre. I can see elements of it that have influenced other directors and movies, but good grief, what a mess. If you want affecting seminal horror, go watch some John Carpenter or George Romero and leave this alone. Um... Hard to know what he what his grievance was with the film. Mm. This one's uh, this one's quite a good one. This is one star garbage. The rating, Try it. It's a bit it's a bit long, but bear with it. I'm rating the plot, not the Blu-ray transfer or sound. 
I've only seen this on Blu-ray once and I will not be watching it again. I love Ridley Scott's Alien, a movie he aspired to become the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. Fortunately, Mr. Scott failed miserably and made an actual masterpiece worthy of the title of horror classic. I would give this movie between two and five points out of a hundred, mainly for the notoriety the movie has garnered over the years. And yes, I am aware that that is not a part of the plot. So let's be honest and give it zero points out of a hundred instead. Somehow this movie had eluded me through the years and I've only recently watched it for the first time. I actually have the more recent remake on DVD and I'll definitely pick that if I had the choice. I love the way he's, he's saying he's rating the plot and he's not talked about the plot once. <laughs> I wasn't horrified, terrified, scared, or even cared. I would rooting, I were rooting for Leatherface all the way through. The cast, not the character they, that they portray, deserve to be chopped into a mushy red pulp by a chainsaw. Kirk enters house, walks around a bit. Hello, is there anybody in here? Metal door slide open. Leatherface jump out, grab Kirk and pulls him in and the metal door slides shut. I laughed at this point. Just so absurd, laughable and stupid. It's not what happened, by the way, was it? He bashed him on the head. <laughs> Franklin is so annoying, you want him dead. Uh, you want him dead within the... I've lost it now, where is it? You want him dead within the first minute he speaks. I would have killed Sally in the end, just to shut her up. I'd also killed the remainder of the cast around the table for their piss-poor performances. I was also disappointed that Sally wasn't killed in the end. The acting is so exaggerated, awkward and bad that the director should be shot for not to be intervening. How this has come to be considered a horror classic is honestly beyond me. A possible explanation is that I grew up with movies, significantly better funded and of a much much higher quality than this. I'm truly shocked at how bad this was. I purchased mine, used at the local blockbuster when they closed shop. (laughs) A mere three pounds, and I still feel robbed. Do not watch. Uh, a lot happening there. Know. He did not talk about the plot once, by the way. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Memento of the Plotto. Um, he lost the plot. He did. Lo- he did lose the plot. And the last, the last one star review then is by a guy called George. Probably my favourite one star review. Um, and the subject is one star, and it is. Only one chainsaw kill, not a massacre. (laughs) 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 Which is true. (laughs) Which is true. (laughs) Killed killed Franklin with the chainsaw and that was it. Uh, The other ones were already dead. uh, Quite funny. Um, Another one, this is T-Hall, the best horror film ever. I just like the line. He gave it five stars. Gunnar Hansen in his pretty woman mask is the epitome of terror. That's very good. Mask. This is one. I just like the subject. It's a good picture. Give me two dollars. Is he selling his copy? <laughs> yeah, it's good. Um, so that's all the reviews I've got for that. I don't know. Did you find any? Did you ever look for any? Uh, no, I didn't. I'm afraid. Fuck's sake! No, it's fine. Um, yeah, well done, mate. It's funny. Good stuff. I think uh, we've good. totally done Texas Chainsaw Massacre to death now. To death. The, a bloody horrible, pulpy death. Anything? To um, death. Yeah. Any the final song. thoughts you want people to leave on? No, um, just, you know, if you, if you like it and you haven't seen the um, other films as well, actually, uh, that two is really good. And I think three is all right. It's a bit cheesy. But, uh, I've seen three. Maybe, maybe we can... Is that the one with Matthew can, McConaughey? 
No, that's the fourth one. I've never seen yeah. that. But um, yeah, I don't know. Are they on our list? No, but they can be. But the um, yeah. the remakes, to be honest, the 2003 remake <clears throat> was okay. Um, but yeah, the rest of them were awful. There was a, uh, they did do a prequel, I think it's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, which I saw, which is basically, <laughs> it's got, well, spoilers for this coming up, but it's an awful film, but it's um, like what happened to Leatherface when he was a kid. And basically it's like, there's like four, um, four kids or whatever that break out of a mental institution. And one of them's like a big fat guy. Um, he's like a bit mentally retarded or whatever. Um, so the presumption is that he's going to turn into Leatherface and then there's this like kind of jock kid who's a bit more like messed up in the head and whatever and you're kind of rooting for him because you think he's a bit it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest a little bit like is he mad isn't he mad has he just like got a bit of a temper or something like that and you kind of weirdly root for him a little bit but um, him and this girl kind of go a bit psycho and then the big fat kid dies and you're like oh that's weird like so this is supposed to be like the origins of Leatherface. And basically the jock kid puts on the like leather mask thing and it's like, he's he's now Leatherface. And you're like, oh, okay. So they went they went for Weird. the uh the swerve shock twist at the end over yeah. logical. Yeah. yeah. And it's like it rubbish. Oh, I don't really think of it. That's not how I want Leatherface's story to start. Um, I don't want to know how it starts, but if someone was going to tell me, it's like, it wouldn't be that. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff out there. Go check it out. But before we go, um, we should pick what we're actually going to do next week. So Dan, are you ready for the random subject? Always ready. And remember guys, you can add to this by just emailing us at, um, either oddcastoddballs at gmail.com or the new podcast at gmail.com as we're part of the new into podcast network. Um, and yeah, we'll see if we can add it to the list. So Dan, here we go. Press the button, and it is scratch acid. Brilliant! That's great. <laughs> the music category, I should say. Mm. That is brilliant. One of my favourite bands, all-time favourite bands, a um, Texas-based uh, post-rock, post-punk. Angry noise alternative catawall of a band. This is uh, a link to Texas from the mid eighties. Yeah, from Austin, Texas. Um, and like I said, one of my favorite bands. They only released one album uh, with an EP either side of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I've I've been on the lookout for these records. Basically, they all got compiled onto one CD at some point, and I had I've had that CD you know, for about 20 years or something. But I've been on the lookout for the original um, records and they go for so much money. Like between, usually between 60 to 100 pounds each record. Right. Yeah. And just this week on eBay, basically someone had one on there for three quid. Wow. A starting bid. Okay, right. Three, it was three pounds to buy it now. I got in touch with him and I was like, oh, what's the condition like and all this and did a little uh, and got got like corresponding with him a bit and I said oh I don't know whether to bid or uh, make you an offer and he said if you make me an offer of £1.50 you can have it <laughs> so I was like okay and then he messaged me back and went oh I've got this other one as well are you interested and I was like yeah 
so I got the two EPs for I think I gave them six pounds. I mean, what's so, the deal there then? So I'm I'm in a heightened state of being excited about scratch acid. So mm-hmm. next week is going to be fun. Well, let's check it out. And yep, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Next week we'll be scratching some acid, and I'll be scratching my ass. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Have a good one and see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, guys. We're part of a New Winter group, so head on over to newwinter.com to check out our other shows. Go to patreon.com slash newwinter to support the network. You can email us at oddcastoddballs at gmail.com and follow this and our other shows on Twitter and Instagram at a new winter. So see you next time on the Oddcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.